What's up, y'all, and welcome to Leadership with LaToya for Leaders on the Growth. We are so excited to bring you our fourth season of Leadership with LaToya, and our show wouldn't be what it is without my co-host, dear friend and colleague, Mike Wakesness. What's up, Mike? Latoya, how's it going? It's going. You know, I'm just so glad that we're back in the throes of a school year. We're back on the air with leadership with Latoya. And I think we're going to have some we're going to have some outstanding topics this season that people have said they want to hear more from us um, about and around. So um, today we're going to be talking about instructional equity. You know, we did a presentation this summer at the South Carolina Association of School Administrators Conference talking about instructional equity and building equity for every learner. And, you know, Mike, I always think about how, you know, oftentimes in our schools, what we're trying to do is reduce the variation in achievement among students. So we don't want to see a huge difference between fourth graders who are in Miss Brown's room or fourth graders who are in Miss Smith's room. And the same is true in our middle school if we put students in Miss Smith's ELA class versus Miss Brown's ELA class. We like we would like for students to have an opportunity to have the same experience in terms of instructional quality. So I couldn't help but think about some of the things we did. And I wanted to ask you, where do you start as a leader when you want to build um, a foundation for instructional equity in your school? Well, that's why I think first it's, you know, recognizing the issue. And I think probably every leader in education recognizes that issue. Like you said, that the very different experience a student can have based on the teacher they happen to be assigned to, even, you know, the teacher next door or down the hall or a different hall in the, in the same classroom or same district. Um, so something that, that, that LaToya and I did is we wanted to make a concerted effort to try to close that variance. So when we talk about equity, one of the things, and, um, you know, one of the really important things is making sure that all students are receiving that same quality instruction regardless of what teacher they happen to get assigned to. Um, so one thing that we did, and we've talked about before, but we had really good reviews from our last presentation, so we think it's worth bringing up again, is um, the elements of an effective lesson document we created. But essentially what that was is we created some, or we didn't create them, we identified some research-based practices that lead to quality student outcomes, and we kind of made some agreements uh, as a school, and we, we picked uh, several that we were going to work on and focus on and um, really base everything we do instructionally around a few sets of instructional strategies that we could hopefully replicate from classroom to classroom. Yeah, and Mike, just to give people an idea who maybe haven't heard us talk about this before or might be new listeners to the podcast, I'm thinking of the first one that I talk about often and that was on our uh, part of our document and our focus that people take sort of for granted, but is a really powerful practice, having a clear daily objective that helps students articulate what it is they should know and be able to do by the end of the lesson. Can you talk a little bit about how we coach teachers around that and help them incorporate that in their classroom and how do we move them beyond just posting an I will and I can statement? Well, I'll start answering that by saying when I was a teacher, I remember we had to put the standard on the board. And in all honesty, this was uh, this was a while ago. This was probably 15 years ago. Um, I wrote the standard on the board, and it stayed on there the entire year. I never looked at it. I never did anything, and it was the same exact standard. It meant nothing to anyone in the classroom. So what we really try to do when we talk about this is um, using it as a guide for your lesson, so to speak. So we did, there's different ways you could do this. Some will do like an I can statement, but we always started it with the student will 
will be able to. And then what, are, what is it that you want them to be able to do in that 60 minutes or 45 minutes, however long your class is? So by the end of that lesson, what is it that you want them to be able to do that they could not do before they, they, they came into your classroom that day? So that's just one, one, one way, but the power of that is if all the teachers in that content grade level are, are using the same um, I can statements or the student will be able to statement and using it to guide their instruction. So this is, you know, this would be a really long answer, so I'll try to boil it down. The planning process that we worked with with our teachers was creating the assessment and then creating the um, student will be able to statements or I can statement for that entire unit or chapter or however you break it down in your school. So before you start planning your lessons and your activities and all the things you want the students to do, you should have your unit laid out with your assessment created first, of course, and then all of the daily objectives for that time span. So then every teacher is pretty clear on what they want students to know each day, and then you can plan collaboratively to come up with the what you're actually going to do each day in the class. Yes, and, uh, and just to add a little bit to that, a simple practice in terms of uh, teachers implementing that in their classroom additionally is just referring to that learning goal throughout the lesson so that students are clear about what they should know and be able to do. That was a great answer, Mike, um, and I appreciate that because I think what we what we uh, often take for granted or, or, or there's mythology around how we can build instructional equity across our classrooms. We tend to, and I say we, I'm, I'm, I'm including school leaders, um, sometimes teachers, we, we, we tend to think that if we ask folks to anchor their teaching in a set of evidence-based, research-based practices that we're all going to agree uh, we're going to implement in our classrooms, people may say things like, well, that's going to impact my style. I, I have my own way that I put a spin on things. But here's what we know about the science of learning. We know that those practices are effective in resulting in high outcomes for students. So I think, as you said, I love the way you phrase that. You know, we, we came to an agreement on what we were going to focus on based on the evidence. Um, the second thing I wanted to ask you about and talk about today is, you know, in terms of instructional equity and thinking about some of our practices and policies in our schools, what do you think gets in the way sometimes of us being able to be sure that all of our students have access and opportunity to interact and participate in the most rigorous coursework that's appropriate for them? Yes, yeah, great question. I think that the first question, we kind of talk more about the details that daily implementation, and I do want to go back to that element of an effective lesson. If you check it out in our resources, that's a great guide you could use in your school um, to help drive instructional change or, um, you know, just a great conversation piece to have with your teachers. So to answer the second question, kind of a larger picture, think about in your school or your district things that you have in place that may limit access to certain courses. And one thing I've said since I've been in education, it, it really amazes me how much importance it has a student's sixth grade classes has in their trajectory for the rest of their time in school, whether they get into the, whether you call it GT or AIG, depending where you are, or basically the honors classes in sixth grade, it really, really can impact the rest of their educational career. So, so something that we like to talk about is kind of doing an audit of your practices and see where you might have gateway courses that have really, really rigorous um, prerequisites like, do those prerequisites really, are they as effective as you want them to be? What's the purpose of them? Um, 
And then are they flexible enough for students who may not have had the amount of success um, to meet those standards? Are there additional ways for them to, to show that they can get into the class? Great, great uh, practices. You know, what I've suggested to people, if they wanted to see how equitable their their practices and policies are around uh, some of those rigorous courses is to create, uh, do, uh, do what I call a mini equity audit and create a matrix where you identify every subgroup in your school, whether it be subgroups by gender, by race or ethnicity, uh, by poverty status, um, and you identify how many students are participating in your high-level courses in those particular subgroups. I think it will stand out uh, once you create that. You have what what I like to call a little equity map, and it'll really stand out about who's being excluded and who maybe could be served well by being a part of those rigorous courses. I think it's an opportunity also for us to look not only at our practices, which are often things we've done for years but not aren't necessarily policy, um, but also our policies and make amendments and changes to that based on what we see. Um, so, Mike, if you were a beginning principal and you wanted to work on instructional equity in your building and reducing variation in student achievement, uh, give me something concise, sort of where you would start. Where would you start? I think the first place to start is, you know, finding out what's currently going on um, and working with teachers, your leadership team in that process, because you don't want them to think, oh, my goodness, here's a new principal. Um, here's all the things he or she's going to make us do. Um, and this too shall pass. You know, this, this is the infamous saying, I guess. But working with your leadership team and your faculty and staff to kind of, like you said, do that audit. Um, you know, what's going on with our instructional practices, but really, and I keep going back to it, but I think it's that important. I think it's the most important thing for instructional leadership is coming up with something like the elements of an effective lesson. And if you, if you, if you look at that document, those aren't the only things. Those aren't the very best practices maybe in the world. They're all research-based and they're effective, but there may be different ones that work just as well. So coming up as a group, whether that's your leadership team or your admin staff or if you have an instructional leadership team, coming up with some set agreements on what you think great instruction looks like and then base everything you do instructionally off that, all your walkthroughs, all your observations, everything you talk about has to be based on those, whatever whatever you come up with is fine, but make it all about um, those strategies. And that gives you a way to um, really start decreasing that variation. So that's where I would start is coming up with some sort of a document, living document, where um, teachers know exactly what you expect. That's something we talk about a lot that we haven't mentioned this podcast is, you know, teachers really need to know exactly what you expect. Principals really need to know exactly what the superintendent expects. Um, So this kind of helps with that as well, I believe. I could not agree more, Mike. It is all about bringing clarity to expectation. And I, I've said this several times in the past few weeks, but, you know, we have gotten into this practice in education where we are hyper-focused on the why, and that's certainly uh, at the center of our work, that our children are our why. And and often I find that leaders are very um, articulate about the what, what, here's what I want you to do. But what we have lacked, I believe, is the how. And I think what the elements of an effective lesson does is it helps teachers with the how. How do I implement this in my classroom? What does this look like in practice? And not just a what. 
And so I would encourage leaders out there to really see if you're connecting your why, your what with a how and demonstrating and modeling for teachers those things that you want to see happening in every classroom so you can then uh, reduce the variation in achievement. Well, we're going to take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to introduce you to a new segment on leadership with LaToya called For Leaders on the Grow, uh, where we're going to give you tips and quick things that you might be inspired, motivated, or encouraged by. Uh, we'll be back right after the break. Hey, y'all, and welcome to our new segment, Leaders on the Grow, quick tips, encouragement, and inspiration for our listeners. So earlier in the week, we asked uh, followers on Twitter to tell us what makes a great leader. Um, and we got some very, uh, very interesting and encouraging responses. So Mike, the first response was the ability to see a hammer has two uses, one side to tear down and the other to build up. A leader has the intelligence and the compassion to know how and when to use both ends effectively, hard on the vision and soft on the people. What do you think about that, Mike? That, that's interesting. That's so true. You know, the, the first part of it, um, that to tear down or build up, certainly as leaders, I hope we are not trying to tear anyone down, and I hope we're really cognizant of, of not doing that, because a lot of times you're not doing things on purpose that are tearing people down. Um, but, but it does happen. So, um, I like the building up part, of course. And I think maybe what, what they're getting at in that is, and maybe not, Latoya, you tell me what you think on this, but it's being able to, um, not just talk the talk, but being able to walk the walk. So you can't say we're talking about do this instructionally better, you know, get better results, because if you're not helping with the how, you're really just, to me, it sounds like blah, 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 blah. They, the teachers think you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but if you are able to show them and be in the trenches, so to speak, with them and, and working side by side and demonstrating what you're talking about, you're going to be building them up. I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think you hit that spot on. Here was our next response. And of course, we got several. We won't be able to share them all in this segment, but we are just going to share a few and discuss them. And hopefully they serve as pinpoints for growth, encouragement for you. One that isn't a dictator, leadership should encompass developing others to lead and inviting them into the conversation. A good leader listens and responds. Oh, that's a good one. Um, listening, listening, listening. That's that's important and, and truly listening. Um, there's a difference between, you know, standing there quietly and looking at them and nodding and uh, truly listening to them and gathering their opinions and feedback. I think that's, that's an important one. And a lot of leaders, um, I think we need to always constantly hone our skills on, on listening to people. Yes, and this one is a really simple statement, but I thought it was um, so very true. And it actually is from Simon Sinek. Great leaders are always learning. Latoya, that is what we always talk about. If you are a leader and you have decided you do not need to learn anymore, well, uh, I don't know what to tell you, but I don't know how much longer you're going to be leading effectively at least. I would agree. I mean, Mike, I think one of the things that has helped both of us that we both say um, is that we are lifelong learners and not just, you know, it's not just a phrase for us. We enjoy and we always talk about what latest books are out there and we're always reading and researching. 
because it's something that we believe helps make us more effective leaders. And I can't encourage our leaders today enough to make sure you are not waiting for someone else to develop you professionally, but taking care of your own scholarship by engaging in uh, reading and research on your own. And the last one. Let me just jump in there also. I think we need to do a whole segment on this because we talked about this earlier in the week, just, you know, in our conversation. I think a lot of times leaders are scared by instructional leadership because they may not um, think they know what to do or know how to do. And we definitely need to do a whole segment, a whole um, podcast on this. But, I mean, I think of how much I've grown with my instructional leadership from when I started as an administrator to now. And simply, you know, there's no magic to it. It's just a lot of studying and talking and learning and um, all that stuff. So that's that's really key. And I think maybe that could be a, a future podcast episode. I'm not being afraid of instructional leadership if you don't feel confident right now in your ability to lead instructionally. Mike, I think you are spot on with that. As we were talking earlier this week and you said that, I thought light bulbs just went off in my brain. I think you are so spot on. Uh, and I think sometimes when we are fearful of our own skill set and abilities, we end up becoming frozen. Um, and so we don't engage in learning and that actually works against us. So I definitely agree that should be a future episode and there's lots more we could discuss around that. Our last um, sharing from Twitter, uh, transparency, walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's the ability to serve and support the ones you influence. Uh, that's great leadership. Mike, what do you think about that? Certainly, and I think we touched on that in our in our previous answers. I mean, it's being 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 seen as someone that knows what they're doing and, and is willing to work side by side with teachers, not just tell teachers what to do. Well, folks, we're so glad you joined us for our new segment for Leaders on the Grow. We're going to always try to end each podcast with a way to encourage, inspire, and motivate you to be the best leader you can be. Make sure you check out our website and our resources at LatoyaDixon5.com. Until next time, be you, be true, be a hope builder. This is Leadership with Latoya for Leaders on the Grow.